0: Pastor Mai, good afternoon and welcome to Perspective. Coming up on the programme this week.
1: Well, when we uh, know the result of the transition uh, EU-UK situation and the fisheries situation, um, that will enable us to take a a longer term view of, of where we're
2: going. But what we've tried to do is make sure we've considered what those different scenarios could lead to and
1: that we've got... Uh, plans of how we would react to them. The farming community uh, responsible for around 80% of the land area on the island. We, we DEFA, own um, 26,000 acres or something of that order, and then MH uh, are small uh, landowners as well. And uh, obviously, there are people that aren't involved in farming that own some land, but a uh, uh, farming community, 80% or thereabouts.
2: Over half of our meat. Is currently exported into the UK. So that relationship with the UK, if we seek to restrict their imports into the Isle of Man, it would be entirely understandable if they looked at restricting our imports into the UK.
0: That's all to come in the next 50 minutes or so. The men at the forefront of the island's farming and food production sectors were under the spotlight at a Timwald committee hearing last week. DEFA Minister Geoffrey Boot and his department's CEO Richard Lowell outlined what they're doing to try and help, protect and regulate some of the island's oldest industries in the wake of massive external pressures and change. Of course, Brexit and COVID-19 were inevitable talking points. The Environment and Infrastructure Policy Review Committee is made up of Rob Mercer, MLC, plus MHK's Claire Barber and its chair, Chris Robertshaw.
3: It's a very important subject and it's very topical at the moment for all sorts of reasons and uh, we just want to touch on it for this, this morning and that is the matter of, if you can walk us through um, the, the impact of our fishing industry in relation to the loss of Protocol 3 and the, the um, imminent bre- Brexit deal or lack of it, where, does that, where do we actually stand in terms of protecting our fishing waters
1: and how will it work? Well um, we have a fisheries management agreement uh, with the, um, uh, the countries or jurisdictions around the Irish Sea which still stands and we've been in the process of uh, renegotiating that. Obviously the, the negotiations in terms of transition and uh, the EU and UK um, uh, either reaching a deal or not reaching a deal um, are going on as we speak and uh, that is a a live issue and uh, we have uh, constant uh, uh, rapport with uh, our opposite numbers in the UK and uh, we are hoping that uh, they are obviously listening to what uh, we would like and uh, you may have seen some of the publicity around Jersey um, recently in terms of uh, where we are at the moment the london convention has basically fallen that allowed certain access to our waters um and that access is still being honored at the moment um although it doesn't infringe in, in uh, considerable terms uh on our waters uh, so it's business as usual until we see where the eu agreement with the uk uh, comes to a conclusion
3: okay. so that's, that's a general statement which uh, rests on the fact that nothing's decided yet and I respect that but at the same time we we could very well now be in a position where we are WTO uh, rules um, what protection measures will be available if the whole, uh, to our fishing waters, I'm talking about 3 to 12 now, um, What what protection will be available to our waters in the event of the situation developing into a quite uncomfortable and aggressive one between continental uh, fishers and uh, the use and access to UK waters. Who protects our waters in that event, uh, Minister?
1: Well, we have um, a a licensing regime and we've uh, put in place contingency plans around licensing foreign vessels uh, within our uh, waters. Uh, Obviously, in terms of uh, if there is aggressive uh, behaviour, we will, to a certain extent, have to rely on the UK. Um, But we have our own fisheries enforcement vessel and we have our own enforcement regime. So if people break Manx Law, um, then they will be held responsible in the same way as they are at the moment. Okay, so our own protection vessel will work to three, will it? And, and the
3: UK would go from three to twelve. Just an explanation.
1: Our, our protection vessel works out to twelve miles. So in where our territorial the, sea. Where would the UK support come into well, being, and the, is, the, it, is it agreed already? At present, uh, the UK, um, or particularly, I think the Welsh, have uh, done joint. Patrols with us, um, but there are issues around warranted officers being on board if they are carrying out protection, uh, fisheries protection duties within our territorial sea, because it is our territorial sea. Yeah, thank you very much indeed. That, that my questions so on fishing. Uh,
4: thank you. I have a question for the Minister, I think. Um, recently, we've seen the UK government agree to powers. That allow it to legislate for the Crown Dependencies. Uh, the Channel Islands, Jersey, and Guernsey have both uh, hit the news recently, objecting to this clause. Uh, has the Isle uh, taken a position on on that particular clause?
1: Well, in terms of uh, the UK legislating for us, there are precedents uh, for that uh, happening, and uh, in it we Drill down specifically on the fisheries issue obviously uh, that is ongoing Um, from our perspective we're very uh, keen to ensure that we have access to any uh, european markets that come out as a result of the agreement Um, we don't face the same issues that they do in the channel Isles. they have their own agreements with france and uh, they land their fisheries products direct to france we don't have that issue so they're probably taking a slightly different uh, view on what might and might not happen and uh, at the moment that's an issue for them to solve from our perspective I think we we will be uh, looking to the UK and how that uh, works out but as I say it is a live issue at the moment we don't know how it's going to work we'll we'll wait the next few weeks we're going to see the direction of travel
4: so, this the first, at the moment, we don't know what the true impact of our agreement to that clause might be?
1: Well, we have some indications, but it's still very much a, a fluid issue. Okay, thank
5: you. Okay, so, if we then... If you're happy, we'll move on to talk wider about farming and uh, then obviously we want to talk with uh, relating to the meat plants as well. I wonder if you could start by explaining the potential impact of the loss of uh, Common Agricultural Policy and cessation of Protocol 3, specifically in relation to farming and food production in the Isle of Man and what you're doing in anticipation of that.
1: Well, obviously we're not subject uh, to uh, the... Common Agricultural Policy because we're not members of the EU so we, we ply our own course but we are cognizant of what happens on the other side of the Irish Sea uh, in both the Irish direction and uh, the UK direction and uh, our farmers uh, operate in exactly the same markets uh, there so we have to be aware of what they're doing and uh, in terms of uh, ongoing subsidy and also quality issues and um, uh, for export import, because we, the essence of any agreement is that we will still be uh, the UK will still be our main trading partner, and most of our product that we export will go straight through the UK. And whether that goes on to Europe or other countries uh, uh, remains to be seen as to what uh, agreement is reached with the EU.
5: What? Uh, go on. No. I was going to ask if you're aware of what the proportion of agricultural products are that are exported to the EU market at present.
1: Do we have a...
2: it, It varies enormously by sector. So if we look at the beef sector, very, very little, if any, would go to the EU. It would be specific imbalances occasionally. The lamb sector, it's much more material, but again... Uh, with the lamb sector, nothing goes directly into the EU market from the Isle of Man. It goes into the UK and then may be bought by someone who consolidates a load and sends it on. Um, and we, even on the lamb sector, we believe it's a relatively small proportion. Uh, if we looked at um, cheese, there have at times been some reasonably material sales into those areas. But again, it's still a relatively
1: small percentage. Okay. I should add to that, when it comes to fisheries, because we're talking about agriculture, but fisheries uh, are more important. The, the EU markets for our scallops, for instance, um, are, are very, very important, 80% or thereabouts. Okay. Uh,
3: c- could you explain to us why the decision was made to, if we've understood this correctly, and do correct me if I'm wrong, but there was a decision to move the average pricing on, under the AHDB process from northern section to the central section, which we're given to understand is uh, a, le- a lower price.
1: Why was that decision made? That is an operational decision uh, on behalf of Isle of Man Meats, um, not uh, one that we uh, dictate or have any part in. Okay.
3: So th- the papers that we've got before us suggest that if we end up on WTO terms, the that will have this, a suppressing price um, on the average AHDB pricing structure, which will further stress our meat sector over here what uh, what scenario planning is going on in your department minister to review all this uh, because it obviously could quite clearly result in uh, a, a, an
1: increasingly stressed situation for for our meat sector we have uh, robust scenarios that we've looked through uh, to see what might happen but once again we don't know what will happen all we can say is this could happen, it might happen and uh, it's difficult and uh, perhaps Mr Lowell might add to that because you've been involved in that process more than I have so when we approached the situation uh, last
2: time around, when, uh, as we got to Brexit before the transition was agreed, uh, we tried to do an impact, an assessment of the value at stake. And I think there's four key areas that will have influence and in that you have to look at a scenario on each of those four different aspects. One is the UK-EU exchange rate, which could have as much influence as any particular tariff arrangement. One is the the actual tariff or, or free trade access agreement agreed with the EU. Quite importantly, is also the rest of the world arrangements, thinking about whether they're on WTO tariffs or whether there's free trade agreed with uh, areas that would like to export products that we would then be competing with. Uh, an example might be beef from South America. Um, and the other one is UK policy response. Uh, and the UK are indicating that they may uh, move almost entirely onto environmental support policy over the next few years, uh, and each of those would have an impact on the market. So what we've tried to focus on is considering what our options are to react to how each of those four different things uh, take effect. So uh, the, there could be a scenario where you look at structural change, less uh, production in one sector... There could be um, an opportunity to redirect product to different markets. So the the Isle of Man meats have more ability to produce a wider range of products in the local market and look at exporting less. For example, they've invested in um, mincing uh, equipment recently. So for the that may be relevant.
3: Okay, so one of your scenarios is to reduce production further than currently the case?
2: Is that right on meat? So we identified earlier that
3: uh, lamb is one that is n- we. No. we uh, can I, may I stop you for a second because. I, I, they're two very different areas, and, and, and the, the, the impact on the lamb market could be significantly different. Uh, what we'd like to focus on, if we may, is, is the beef side, So rather than be too general, okay. Uh, it, um, if we may. So on, on the beef uh, section, one of the options that you're considering is reducing volumes on the Isle of Manor. And could you explain further what you meant by mincing? Yeah. Is that okay. slow-quality meat? My, quality y- my apologies,
2: that? I was talking in both those situations about lamb. So well, you've okay. just nulled so it down to beef.
3: Be, so could you then reply again on the basis of beef,
2: please? Uh, so the we, to some extent, have to react to whatever changes happen in the UK market for our exported beef. But the uh, and I appreciate the Alaman Meats will talk about their business strategy, but they are trying to grow local sales, which will be slightly insulated.
3: Well, of course. In your scenario of planning, I mean, Protocol 3, the relationship with the EU, is all tied up with where we had to go on derogation, linkages. That must all now be under uh,
1: reconsideration, surely. <laughs> Let's be honest. This is a very fluid situation, and we, whilst we get best information from the UK and we work with them, we don't know how this is going to work out. Hence, we're doing some uh, uh, behind the scenes planning. in case of and the different scenarios but we don't know how it's going to pan out yeah, I, and, I understand that and it's, yeah, a, bit, I'm, it's I'm, a bit premature asking us questions that no we don't, don't have answers for at the moment no
3: miss it's not because because it's imminent mm-hmm. i mean you know johnson has said that it's n- now or never in the next few days and it may well tri- extend for a few weeks but it's now or never and you uh, what, what we're trying to explore here. Is the scenario planning that you're doing and the options that are coming out of that rather than sort of, with the gracious respect, flooding this now with a smoke and mirrors where we don't know what's going to happen, it could very well be that there's no deal. It could very well be that we're on WTO terms. In those, uh, and therefore the whole issue of derogation changes because the EU is no longer relevant, what are your thoughts in that area? I think it's legitimate to ask these questions at this stage. I absolutely accept that and we've looked at two different uh,
2: parts of scenario planning one is the first three months where um, it's simply because of um, either administrative changes border arrangements etc there could be more upheaval uh, and that's so you, we've got short term considerations to reflect on and then there's the more long term situation of the structural changes that come out of the deals agreement uh, and we've if we look at short-term risk of uh, delays at the border actually that may increase food delayed, prices Richard, because the
3: delays at the borders you're relating to uk to eu presumably but well, from what it i could be both ways it Could be both ways so
2: actually food supply consideration through that period no, is relevant no
3: we meat we're talking about meat here the, the, the issue is that from what I've understood most of the meat that's produced on the Isle of Man most of it is consumed in the UK so we're not talking about borders there what, 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 we're trying to focus on price here and the impact of the loss of protocol 3 and the, the EU
1: imposition about derogation that's what I'm trying to get you okay. to explore here I can say, if you're talking about derogation in the way that we had derogation in the past, um, I, I don't think that's an option uh, that will uh, get any uh, support from the UK. There has to be an open border and, uh, between the two and free trade between us and the UK. We can't start putting up barriers. And uh, it, it, Scotland w- had a special arrangement. Is that wrong? I've looked at where the Scottish situation, I'm sorry. Well, you me. should, Mr. A S- special
3: Minister.
2: arrangement
1: on which topic?
3: We're, elements we're, of the Scottish market got special arrangements in some way? Or have I misread something?
2: Not that I'm aware of. Okay. I, I can't identify it.
3: Okay. okay. I'll, I'll look back on that one. Perhaps uh, we'll, we'll write a note to you on that. Okay. Um, but are you suggesting that, that, that um, a
1: reimposition of an element of derogation would be un- totally unacceptable for... I think in terms of uh, open access to the UK market and probably onwards to the EU market, depending on the agreement that's reached. Well, no, because we're
3: not talking about the EU now. We're talking about the UK market, where most of our meat goes. So the relationship is between, in this instance, is between the Isle of Man and the UK, and you're saying that UKs told you that there there can be no special arrangements granted to the Isle of Man post
1: or once we're into WTO rules, if that's what happens. Well, because you'll have explored this, obviously. I didn't say that the UK had told us anything. Um, what have they The, the said? indications are that, uh, depending on the deal that uh, is struck with the EU, that will have implications on how we trade with the UK in terms of uh, uh, you know, unfair competition or putting up trade barriers. So we have to be careful, because everything is interlinked. It's not just meat here. We're talking about all products. Um, So, you know, our fishery products, and I alluded to that earlier, very important that we have access to the EU markets, and uh, that is also tied into what happens further down the chain with other products.
3: Minister, may I interrupt you, because you're going back to generalities. I keep saying to you, I'm talking about meat, and I'm talking about the fact that most of the meat goes into the UK market, and therefore the scenario planning in such circumstances that we end up in WTO rules means that we have to engage with the UK government with regard to protecting our market in whatever way we reasonably can. And what I'm trying to explore with you is what you've done about that. So can we go back to the specifics, please?
2: Can I just uh, tease out something of what you just said there before trying to answer that other question, which is um, over half of our meat is currently exported into the UK. So that relationship with the UK... If we seek to restrict their imports into the Alman, it would be entirely understandable if they looked at restricting our imports into the UK. And there has been discussions around the, f- the expectation that our choice is to try to align with the UK and have open trade, or to not have open trade. Have
3: they said that to you.
2: Is that what they've? That's said? been part of discussions. Yes,
3: they've said to you that if we introduce or consider. Special circumstances for the Isle of Man market. Bearing in mind our particular and special circumstances, that they would, they would view that in, in, in a very, un, very unsatisfactory outcome from their perspective. I'm not sure at all. That's what I said. I, think I said we've, it has been discussed.
2: They acknowledge that if we're looking at altering the trade relationship, that is a wider impact. And so I think that the, the danger of simply looking at meat. Uh, which ignores the fisheries exports through the UK to the EU. That's a higher value than the meat exports, and so it is really important to link the two things in thinking about the options. So that aspect of setting up a a derogation type structure, we do need to think about the other implications for other exports, and they even go beyond food with that.
3: I, I don't want you to think that I'm trying to explore with you the idea of total uh, return, or return to total. Yeah derogation because i think even then there was a 20 percent margin of uk meat coming in but uh, i'm talking about a partial one a, an element of protection um has the uk said to you know you're not interested in that at all no the uk hasn't said that so you but you'll continue to explore that presumably as a department because it's an it's a, it's a scenario planning option that must be considered surely
1: it, 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 it it's, it's, it's an option that's on the table but we have to look we can't just pick one particular product and, and major on that we have to look at the overall picture and, you know financial services yeah. banking yeah. everything gets the interlinked minister,
3: please, please stick to the issue that well, we've got the chairman has said this morning we're looking at the abattoir meat plant can we we must be able, surely, to focus on this today, rather than keep dragging us off to financial services I, and everything else. I, I mean- think
2: other export products, so all goods, do need to take account of the impact of what we do in one sector that could impact on the other. So the aspect of considering all goods, which would be bigger than simply agri-goods, does need to be taken account of. But nonetheless, as the Minister said, that is a scenario that's part of the options analysis. OK, all
5: right. Where do you feel agri-goods sit in the chain of priority?
2: Uh, is that the department's <coughs> priority or government's priority? Because the department views agri-products as one of the mo- most important things we're dealing with. But nonetheless, um, obviously, if you were speaking to department for enterprise this morning, they might be more concerned about engineering, which has a materially higher economic value.
5: And do you feel that your voice is being heard in that bigger discussion?
1: Yes, Absolutely.
5: OK, because obviously we realise with uh, the impact of COVID-19, you know, the world has become a, a different place. There's an increased pressure on having uh, you know, access to a local food industry. Um, so it'd be interesting to understand who you're engaging with around this scenario planning. Who's been involved in that? Well,
1: that's, I, I think just to take a little step back in terms of uh, the importance of uh, agri-products it's also linked to the environment and uh, what farmers do for the island in terms of the environment so that everything becomes quite interlinked so there may be a value for agri products but if we remove uh farming from the equation suddenly we have an island that has no custodians so uh, they're they're very much interlinked and
5: uh which is why the argument is that actually although there's the the material contribution to gdp may be lower than say the finance sector that actually the wider um potential cost to the island is so significant
1: and that's why last night uh, we launched with the farming community our, our new agri-environment scheme and uh, put that on the table so they have some certainty going forward so that we know that our custodians of uh, the environment as well as the farming community uh, have uh, a future going forward that they can plan on for investment as well as look at productivity back back um,
3: if I can just come in on that one um, to some degree um, Given that we ended up with a WTO arrangement uh, in the future, will will that have the effect of you guys reviewing, again, the agricultural development scheme as it stands at the moment in relation to production? Again, we're sticking to meat.
1: Well, once again, you can't just take meat uh, uh, and take it as a a separate entity because uh, farming is not just about meat. If you want beef, you actually... Uh, need a dairy herd if you want milk and that, that produces your beef cattle and um, so the whole thing's interlinked um but i i think in terms of world trade uh, organization um we obviously have looked at the scenarios and the tariff rates um but uh, it it would be Wonderful if we could sell everything on Ireland, but that's not going to happen if we're going to maintain a production level that we have and a viability level that we have in our farming community. Yes,
3: no, then you're not going to
1: you're not? Well that that, that is not the answer the answer is obviously we would have to look at things in the light of uh, uh, scenarios that develop in due course because it would be stupid to say there's not going to be any change ever for the next uh, three five ten years obviously it's a very fluid situation at the moment it's one that we've never faced before we've got the Covid crisis and we've got uh, the transition and Brexit situation all coming at the same time so there are a lot of things uh, facing us and uh, we may have to make adjustments accordingly mm-hmm. right. I, I get where
3: you're coming from, but what, what you,
1: what you, again, you're throwing up this sort of uh, chaff
3: about the generality of it, and we're trying to focus in on the specifics and trying to examine and explore with you your your scenario planning. And I, I don't feel that we're, we're making much progress in this engagement because it, it's it's all imminent; it's about to happen. I mean, you, you mentioned the fact, that, and I get your point about the interaction between beef herds and. Uh, and uh, calf births from dairy herds, but of course there is a specific difference between the two, isn't there? I mean, what's what 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 is in terms of quality of, of beef uh, production? But, um, what, what what examination have you given to the idea of bearing in mind the problems with the AHDB pricing and the marketing arrangements there, which I know we're going to discuss later? The idea of the Isle of Man moving over a five to ten year period towards high quality beef production that has a premium value attached to it and the potential to market that in a different way than the current general uh, process that we're locked into. What have your thoughts been in that area? Well, our
1: our new scheme, um, the Agri-Environment Scheme, is aimed at just that improving quality production giving grants uh, to improve investment and productivity and hopefully farmers will respond to that, there's an advisory service attached to it um, and uh, I think that's a knowledge exchange we're going to have specific farms targeted and uh, so that they can then share the knowledge and, and move forward we hope in terms of the product and meeting market specs uh, if the market demands then uh, there is tendency for people to respond to that but when it comes to beef production it's, it's a long scale you know you, you're talking a, a three year cycle uh, to get what you want but I think it's uh, farmers are only too aware that quality and the meat plant uh, and their uh, um, uh, procurement policy uh, also has um, a, an element of the sort of meat they want and the quality they want and I think it's uh, self evident that their quality has improved over the last two years so yeah, I, I, I take your point but I mean I think that the, the, the planning
3: around developing a high quality product recognised as Manx Beef being first class is, is more than three years isn't it it's, it's almost a, a, a part generational thing um, it, could, it could be five to ten years to get the cycle absolutely right I mean um, you, you think you're doing enough at the moment to achieve that
1: yeah, uh, well, is that we could we always do more if we had more money. Uh, but we could always do more if we had more money in terms of uh, education, bringing things forward. But I think we are. Uh, our new scheme um, uh, is definitely aimed at improving quality production, benchmarking, and the things that we need to do uh, to make sure that we have the best quality product. It's, 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 it's very easy to say, oh, yes, we just want to improve the quality, um, but it's a slow process as you say and it's an education process Um, farms on the Isle of Man are small they're not intensive production which is a good sales pitch uh, in terms of the dairy for instance Mm -hmm. Um, our cheese production, grass fed um, that's an ongoing process and something that's been well received by the public and, and for export markets that's well received it's not factory farmed and that is something that we're majoring on but uh, in terms of overall product we're very small producers it's not like uh, uh scotland with their angus beef or something like that we're very small producers so we need to find niche markets
3: well i thank you for that because i i concur with that and i'm just challenging you here as to whether actually we're achieving that, because the whole system sits within the generality of of the AHDB pricing structure, which we all agree, I think, could be further impacted in a downward direction price-wise by the arrival of a WTO environment and and new import challenges coming in from areas, uh, producers outside of the EU. Isn't, Isn't it now time to really get a, a tight focus on the vision for the future. If we are such a small market, which you've said yourself, we're small producers, we're grass fed, isn't now the time to really drive forward with a clear vision that comes out of your department to say, this is what we're going to do, this is the time scale, and this is how we're going to pro- finance it. Because up to this point, all we've seemed to have from you is this sort of general blurb of, well, it's all very complicated.
1: Where do we get the vision and the drive? Where's it going to come from? I think we already have a vision and a drive. If you'd been at the launch last night, where we had a, a considerable amount of the farming community, farmers are bought into what we're doing, and they're also keen to get into uh, KPIs and benchmarking and looking at best practice elsewhere. And uh, the advisory side of what we're doing will inform that um, in going forward. And I, there is an enthusiasm within the department to drive forward what we've got, but there is a lot of uncertainty hanging over the whole system at the moment, and it's very easy to pick something we could pick a, a niche that is the wrong niche because you uh, allude to WTO or uh, an agreement with the EU so we want to inform the farming community we want to keep them uh, investing in production and try and steer them through benchmarking and best practice and information that we receive uh, from uh, other farmers and other jurisdictions uh, the best way forward as we and they They are the individual businesses. They have to make the decisions going forward. All we can do is help them uh, with uh, either uh, indirect subsidy or subsidy and uh, also education programs to to assist them. And, of course, the MNFU uh, do that as well. So it's it's important that we inform the process. But the individual farm owners are the business uh, that make the decisions and how they invest. And if they're shown the way forward and... uh, They see new markets. They will exploit them. Our our farmers are very adaptable. So
3: um, does that mean you will or will not review in the light of these uh, bold moves that you say you're making? Will it or will it not encourage you to review the agricultural development scheme as it stands, yes or no? We've already reviewed it.
1: This no, is the, no the result of the review, depending on what comes forward. I mean, it's a bit premature to ask that question, because we don't know where we will be in three months' time. Um, so, uh, you know, having just reviewed it and put a new scheme in process which recognises the importance of the environment and farmers as custodians of the, the, the countryside, as it were, as well as producers uh, in, in the sense of running yeah. a business, I... I, I we uh-huh. will we will adapt to whatever we need to. Uh, I, th- I think trying to get me to say, "Oh yes, we're going to review the scheme when we've just reviewed it and we haven't even launched the new scheme properly yet," is 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 somewhat premature and, and disingenuous. Uh, it certainly isn't disingenuous, Minister. It's a fair question. But I mean,
3: the the, the, the scheme came in pre Brexit and and we. we keep trying to get to the point what does the future what the future scenarios
1: look like post post first of January I do respect the scheme didn't come in Um, pre-Brexit. We've been been reviewing this scheme for some time and uh, when I took office in 2016 uh, the writing was on the wall that we needed to to review the ADS and also we needed to take account of the environmental uh, side of uh, farming and uh, its impact on on, on our environment generally. So uh, I think, you know, uh, we have just reviewed the scheme. We've launched a, a very uh, a comprehensive scheme that has a lot of elements to it that the farming community are bought into. Um, I'm, I'm not going to commit to review that tomorrow unless something drastic happens, and uh, then all of the farming community will, will be asking for us to look at the scheme to see how we can support them if that's necessary. But uh, at the moment, the scheme, m- my opinion, and I think the farming community generally, is a good scheme, and we need to air it and see how it. Uh, uh, works in practice
4: um, I have two questions one's directly related to this uh, what percentage of land is, um, is actually owned by farmers are there other forms of custodian land
1: yeah, the, the, the farming community uh, responsible for around 80% of the land area on the island. We, we DEFA own um, 26,000 acres or something of that order. And then M&H uh, are small uh, landowners as well. And uh, obviously there are people that aren't involved in farming that own some land. But the uh, uh, farming community, 80% or thereabouts.
4: Okay. Uh, Done. Another question: um, Going actually go back to fisheries. Um, in 2015, previous uh, Defence Minister Richard Ronan launched the Future Fish- Fisheries Strategy, which is now coming to an end. Uh, do you intend on launching a new fisheries strategy to replace that?
1: Well, when we uh, know the result of the transition uh, EU-UK situation and the fisheries situation, um, that will enable us to take a a longer-term view of of where we're going. Obviously, aspirationally, um, we we have things that we would like to see happen in the fleet at the moment, diversification being one of them, um, uh, readjustment or or realignment of quotas so that the Isle of Man gets a a fair share of its whitefish quota. which we, we have very little of at the moment, which might enable uh, uh, constructive diversification because at the moment we're very reliant on uh, scallops, queen and king scallops, whelks, and uh, some uh, shellfish. Um, it would be nice to see that expanded and the, 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 the fleet more diverse. Uh,
4: do, you, do you think that we will see a replacement strategy before the end of this
1: session? <laughs> when you say a replacement strategy what do you mean by that
4: this one finishes
1: this year oh i see you mean t- strategy yeah, i thought so we were yes. talking about strategy and replacing something um it, it, it is it is in uh, review at the moment but uh, i am not making any um promises or commitments to have a new strategy in place i think that will probably be uh, for the next administration bearing in mind we still haven't transitioned yet into whatever new world we're going to be in after th- the exit Thank
5: you. Um, just uh, in terms of strategies you obviously you've got the agricultural strategy and the food matter strategy, um, has there been any consideration around the 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 need to make those more relevant in light of the significant changes with Brexit um, and Covid-19 or do you well, think they're still fit for purpose?
1: I think it's fair to say that they are strategies and uh, they, they outline where we should be going and um, Obviously, we're in a a, a, a different world at the moment with Brexit and exit, call it what you will. And also, uh, this COVID crisis is is certainly not bottomed out yet. We don't know how that's going to impact uh, over the next uh, year, maybe two years. It looks long-term to me. And uh, bearing in mind from an agricultural point of view, uh, beef production, lamb production, a lot of beef goes into restaurants and things like that. And every time there's a lockdown or partial lockdown or there's border closures, with uh, uh, other countries, that impacts severely on on the marketplace for those products. So they are still relevant, but they will be subject to review in due course. For this administration, they are there, and uh, I've got to be honest that uh, in terms of reviewing strategies at this stage in an administration, um, it's unlikely to happen. We're, We're coping with the situation as it is.
5: And I asked earlier, sorry, about who was engaged within your scenario planning. So, who who's been involved in that?
1: Perhaps you could answer that one, Richard. So, in
2: uh, both industries, we've worked with the industry to explore the concerns they have and the impact they're aware of. We've looked at the impact analysis work that's been done elsewhere. We're, we, uh, I'm talking now about the department, but in terms of wider involvement within government, um, the chief ministers national strategy group are uh, meeting regularly to talk about scenario planning which each of the different areas of government is doing being coordinated by the cabinet office
5: has there been any engagement with the uh, the community actually working on the ground within these sectors yes yeah and they've been advising in terms of their concerns and inputting into that scenario planning yes okay um and does where does this all sit in terms of departmental risk register this must be a a risk in terms of the changes for brexit so where sorry i
1: didn't that, hear the implication at the beginning there So,
5: where does it all sit in in respect of the departmental risk um you know th- there's obviously a risk island-wide relating to this industry so uh, what mitigation plans do you have in place
2: the scenario planning that we just talked about uh, some of the options that have been identified um The relationship that we've established with UK DEFRA and the monitoring work in terms of the progressions, uh, the the discussion progression, sorry, um, there is an aspect to it which is inherently reactive. But what we've tried to do is make sure we've considered what those different scenarios could lead to and that we've got uh, plans of how we would react to them
5: how does the interaction work with the DEFA representative on the meat plant? How does that work in terms of them being the stakeholder for DEFA and the feed-in that you have as the department?
1: Uh, well, I think it's fair to say that there is a good interaction between the meat plant and the department. Um, our stakeholder director obviously has input and uh, uh, talks to the board about our aspirations but we get a thorough uh, complete breakdown of uh, both the financial uh, side of uh, the meat plant operations and operations on a monthly basis. They they supply a very comprehensive report to us and uh, so that we are able to talk about uh, where we're going where they're going. But they are a standalone business, arm's length, so they have their own operational policy. Has, uh, have
3: you ever found a
1: situation where uh, a departmental uh,
3: member who's a director on the the board found themselves in conflict with regard to their specific responsibilities as a director of a company and in that if it's happened what's the outcome of
1: that been I think it's fair to say that there hasn't been a conflict um, and uh, I I don't anticipate one. Um, I I think that uh, in in terms of uh, the, 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 the input that we have, limited though it may be, it is to make sure that the meat plant is aware of their subvention, and that they need to work within certain financial parameters, and uh, they will no doubt uh, tell you more about uh, that uh, when you speak to them later in the day, but uh, they are uh, working within those parameters, but they'd explain to us why there is a need for subvention, and we like that justified.
5: And in the longer term, do you envisage, uh, you know, uh, from DEFA's perspective, a reduction in the subvention?
1: if i'm honest no um i think we shared that report on small abattoirs in the uk with you and uh, the meat plant on the isle of man is a small abattoir and the reality of the situation is that if we want to retain that facility and that could be for animal welfare as well as uh, supporting local uh, producers of uh, product then there will be an ongoing requirement for subvention it's we've it's during my term in this administration we've explored just about every possibility, mobile abattoirs no abattoir uh, sending meat across on or live animals across a contracted basis and uh, the only solution we come to is a subvention for an on-island meat plant and I have to stress that it's very important we have that facility, it's, it's strategic to farming on the island, we would have no pig industry, we would have uh, uh, no, what I call Uh, branded produce if all our meat left the island we a lot of the product lines that are produced on island and niche products and also mainstream um would not be branded as Manx because we would lose that uh, ability to have our own local supply chain
5: and if there was a need for capital replacement in terms of the facility what interaction would defa have with the company in that regard
1: well, in terms of subvention, um, they will work within their subvention figures, but if there are large capital items, uh, inevitably uh, there will be a discussion with us as to how that subvention plays out. And Richard, you indicated then. It, uh, the
2: uh, the actual asset is government owned by DOI, and there will come a point when it reaches the end of its life, and I think at that, that stage it would be a logical review to say, do we need the same size plant, do we look at a different plant, what will be the operating priorities at that point? So at that stage, uh, if we assume it's the same situation as last time around, government would probably be funding the meat plant, which is then leased to the operator.
3: But well, we're coming to a situation where it's now... Has I mean, it had it a 28-year life or something? like. How far is it from the end of its...
2: Uh it's... It had quite a considerable refurbishment um, six, seven years ago, which was expected to extend its life materially. There are areas where, i I'm sure the board will t- talk about this themselves, but there are areas where they are now making uh, repairs, etc. Um, but I think it probably has a longer life than that, outstanding. What well, do you think that life is? You must have considered it. Um, uh, we are hoping it's into the 2030s. Right,
3: okay, so you're expecting to run that plant now but you probably uh, probably another decade then? Uh, have, would, have you done the numbers on if you brought that review forward?
2: I think that's a piece of work that we should look at you once yet. we're through the end of the transition period. And if we think about all the conversations we've had about the, and I appreciate you described it as chaff, but that complexity that we do have to take account of, um, it would seem sensible to let that play out before looking at a view, whether there's an economic re- need to bring that forward or not so the current assumption is and that's prior those changes taking place the current assumption is that it would continue to operate for the rest of its life but the economics may change okay
3: you, you don't Are you saying it's not worth doing that review uh, earlier than the anticipated life end of the quarter?
2: Sorry, I didn't didn't mean to say that. What I meant to say was once the transition period at the end of Brexit has taken place and once some of the dynamics that we've spent the last 20 minutes talking about have played out, Mm -hmm. there may be a value in looking at it at that point, either to reassure that it's still the right thing to do or to say the economics have changed and a different solution is right. But I think it would be premature to say we should be doing that now. OK, well,
3: we could discuss that till the cows come home. Forgive the pun. <laughs> um, K- changing subject, if I may, you? Um, and you're talking now, as I'm sure you appreciate, to, to both the, the chair and myself, chairman and myself, uh, being members of... or members representing Douglas East, which has gone to hell and back, in terms of both COVID and um, border closures and... Uh, the promenade issues, so I'm sure you have an enormous empathy for our concern in this area. As reasonable people I'm sure you also accept the fact that uh, if you consider us that, that we would be supportive of your food hygiene rating scheme. But bearing in mind the pressure and tensions that exist in the sector in in certain areas at the moment, uh, are you mindful to bring this in quickly or or, or are you going to be mindful of the stress and strain that exists in the hospitality sector at the moment and what they're trying to cope with? Is now, I suppose this is the question, is now the time to bring in the scheme? Or can you give me some assurance that you'll be empathetic to the difficulties those businesses are currently experiencing?
1: Uh, I think that you're making an assumption that it's going to somehow penalise uh, food businesses? I didn't say that. Well, you you were indicating that it's going to be a problem for them, and I don't think that is the case. I think most businesses um, will welcome um, some interaction with the department. At the moment... We have uh, a number of businesses obviously registered uh, with us, all food businesses registered. I think it was 1,500 um, that we discussed earlier, and uh, they are inspected um, uh, on a six to five months as a five-year cycle depending on the, the risk factors within that business itself this just takes that a little bit further for public facing businesses so that they have scores on the doors which is what's been happening in the uk for some time so it just confirms what we're already doing and lets the public be aware of the fact that uh, those businesses that are you know Uh, a rated as it were um, or there there can be improvements and it's not uh, the department's um, intention uh, to penalise businesses it's to get them to be better and
3: just explore a little bit more the idea that the the sector is really comfortable and at ease with the fact with, with the idea of bringing it in at the present time or in the very near future are you doing this now because it just fills, it ticks a box within the, the government programme? Um, because it, that's what it feels like without you being able to signal, you know, there are really difficult issues in the hospitality sector at the moment, and we must be mindful of that. I'm not talking about not inspecting or the fact that the sector would do anything else other than welcome it, but the timing of it. Are you suggesting that it? That the, the sector would find it straightforward to, to bring it in at this
1: stage? Is that what you're suggesting? I, I think you're misinterpreting what we're doing. First of all, uh, we have a, a commitment to do this. And, uh, so it's it, a tick is, box. So it, I if, if you want to call it ticking boxes, yes, we need to tick the boxes because we have a commitment to so do is it. Is
3: tick boxing more important then than being mindful of the. The, the difficult circumstances of the hospitality sector are in at the moment and can they compete with yet can can cope with I beg your pardon another challenge OK I, and, and that's a really fair question um, I, but think it I think is, yeah. yeah absolutely but I
2: think um, if it's not changing the standards but simply introducing the ability for the public to see where those standards are met better it actually improves the economic case for them complying because well, it makes it clearer to the marketplace no, and I appreciate I, I, there may be some who would rather hide their current level of achievement
3: but I, I guess that's what's behind the question but I no, don't know obviously no it's not it's it's uh, in my long experience of, of the situation it is normally the case that um, m- moving forward requires uh, um, capital investment to improve a particular uh, product delivery, um, and that that in order for businesses at this particular moment to achieve, aspire to, to achieve the standards they aspire to, that it, it requires capital investment where the money currently isn't available. That's my point, I, I, and I accept that point completely. But if, but
2: what I tried to say was, as I understand it. A commitment to publish results is not the same as changing the standards to which we're auditing and so if we were changing the standards i accept that uh, that could cause all businesses to need to invest but if we're simply publishing the results which is a conversation we've had in a different situation then publishing those results simply enables the customer to choose and so um it will help us ensure a high quality proposition for the consumer and it will reward those businesses that have got that high proposition.
3: Yeah, do, do, don't misinterpret my question, because I support the, the the concept. It's it's the timing and the sensitivity to the sector at the present time that I was examining, and I'm 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 still in. Um, somewhat uncomfortable ground at the present time but thank you.
0: That was the Environment and Infrastructure Policy Review Committee led by Chris Robertshaw, MHK speaking to DEFA Minister Geoffrey Boot and his CEO Richard Lowell. Thanks for listening, take care.